0: You're listening to Unbound and Rewound. Welcome back to another episode of the Unbound and Rewound Horror Podcast. I am Avery, your lovely host, and this week I am joined by a special guest, a guest that I've known since high school a little odd go ahead and introduce yourself (laughs) to the listeners
1: hello everyone my name is michael house
0: awesome and michael chose a very interesting little bit of a different movie this week for us to talk about but before we get into that what are you reading and what are you watching currently
1: so currently i know this is going to sound strange but i am currently for the first time watching all of the harry potter movies
0: it's not it's not crazy or odd because i literally watched the very first harry potter like i watched the entire uh franchise for the first time like two years ago and i still haven't even finished i'm still on like the fourth movie so you're <sighs> you are normal <sighs> compared to me <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay i was just making sure because i know a lot of people when i say that like what what and I am currently reading, right now, uh, what am I reading? I have a couple books. Let me think of one that's really good. Um, right now, I am reading, like, the last book in the Percy Jackson series. I really don't know if people can see. I really enjoy, mm-hmm. like, fantasy mo- books and movies a lot. Um, so I'm, like, on the last book of that. Okay. Um, I'm also reading this, uh, like, biography of Muhammad Ali. Mm. It's really good as well.
0: Okay, yeah, so are you so. looking forward to the Percy Jackson series that's supposed to be coming out?
1: I am a lot. I just want to get you know those movies that came out a while ago out of my head. You know, and I'm <laughs> right. I'm definitely not somebody I you know. I appreciate when people put their best foot forward, and mm-hmm. you know, I, you don't always have to be one hundred percent accurate to the lore. But when you don't try at all. You know, that makes me, you know, I just can't really get into it, so.
0: Right, yeah, I, I can I'm respect it.
1: I'm definitely excited to see the uh, the new series come out.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this might sound just about as crazy as your Harry Potter, but I've literally never seen the Percy Jackson. <laughs> I've never read Percy Jackson, and I've never seen the movie either, so. Well,
1: you're definitely, like, it's okay that you haven't seen the movies, but the books are fantastic, So if you ever feel like, you know, I enjoyed Harry Potter, maybe, you know, tap into that. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a...
0: Perhaps. When it comes to fantasy books, I'm a lot more of, like, the sci-fi dystopian. So I was always big on, like, Hunger Games, Divergent, all of those books. But once you get into, like... Once you get into, like... Uh, I don't know sea monsters and I know I know it's based <laughs> yeah, off of Greek, okay. Greek mythology but um, yeah I don't know and then so okay you you already touched on fantasy a little bit is that the genre that like you just could not live without meaning book movie or both
1: honestly I would have to say if I had to make one final choice and I couldn't see any other genre I'm gonna have to stick with it. Either fantasy, like fantasy slash sci-fi. Um, it's just I love Star Wars. I love Harry Potter. It's just yeah, fantasy. That's fair. Yeah, just can't live fantasy, without.
0: Fantasy, fantasy is very fun, especially like when you go to Universal and then you get to ride the Harry Potter train. Like exactly. Oh, it's just so it just feels so magical. Exactly. Currently, I am. I don't know, when it comes to like, what am I watching? (laughs) I can never think of the right answer. Uh, Cause I I don't typically do shows because I am watching movies all the time. So if I watch a show, it's like super, super spaced out. Um, But Mm -hmm. I am watching the show Yellow Jackets on Showtime. That is like, it's one episode every week. So it's a little bit easier instead of like binging a show. And really good. It's a cannibal show um, <laughs> about, like, I'm a 90s. No, you have to. It's really good. It's about these this soccer team in the 90s. It's fake. It's a fictitious show. But the soccer team in the 90s uh, go to a competition. On their way back, their plane crashes, and they get stranded in the wilderness for 19 months. And so it's just, like... it it flashes back from you know when they were teenagers in the 90s in the wilderness Mm -hmm. to them now as adults parents and whatnot so you kind of see how like all that trauma affected them so it's but it's also like there's horror in there too especially because they're they end up being cannibals but it's uh it's a really really good show and then Reading currently, I got this book a while back called The Black Guy Always Dies First. I think that's the actual title of it, but it's a nonfiction book about Black horror and like the trope of how the Black guy always dies first, like how that trope (laughs) got started and just like throughout history, all just how Black people showed up in the horror genre. And when I tell you that book is good, it is so it's like they the people who wrote it put a lot of comedy into it but it's also like really informational um and yeah i'm sure i don't have to tell you what genre i could not live without we all know this is Here nothing new <laughs> um
1: exactly
0: exactly by the way
1: i wanted to let you know that you're doing such a great job and i really enjoy your episodes
0: Oh my God, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate that. Um, this, like, I don't know. I I started this because I felt like there weren't a lot of Black horror podcasts when I was looking for them. Um, I know there's a lot of Black scripted horror podcasts and mm-hmm. some, like, horror movie podcasts, but there just weren't enough. And so... <laughs> I was like okay let's have a stab at it um but like everything that has happened because of this has just been so insane there's like a bunch of stuff coming up this season that like i can't quite say right now but let's just say (laughs) i've got my first director interview uh coming up
1: so amazing
0: yeah i'm very excited thank you so much for you know listening and showing your support and i'm So excited to finally have you on here to be able to talk about the movie you chose. And speaking of, this week we are talking about Lake Mungo. And uh, why exactly did you choose this movie to talk about this week?
1: So I feel as if this is one of those movies that doesn't fit very well within like a set category. Because on the one hand, I, I feel personally that it's extremely, extremely underrated. I do see it sometimes pop up on scariest movies, like top 10 scary movies, scariest movies of all mm-hmm. time. Um, so I was like, you know, if you know, you asked me, well, I saw you put out, you know, if people wanted to come on and what type of movies want to talk about, it's like, oh, this has to be my first one for sure um and it's it's just fantastic it, the movie is completely remarkable in almost every category that you could think
0: of that's now that's how i was first introduced to this movie is through i think i was watching a show called like the 101 top horror moments uh, on shutter And this was one of the movies on there. And i had never heard of it before, but um, it's, I don't even have to say the specific part. You you know what part I'm talking about that's like, has everyone shook every time they watch it. Like, that's the moment that uh, this movie is so known for. Um, Now, Lake Mungo is a 2008 Australian psychological horror movie written and directed by Joel Anderson it follows a 16 year old alice palmer who drowns while swimming with her family at a dam in australia and it pretty much just follows his family as they feel like uh alice is haunting their family they didn't get closure they are made to believe that alice could still be alive she might be haunting them and so this movie just kind of follows their journey from grievance to acceptance, Um, but it's just absolutely dreadful. It's a dreadful movie. The whole time you just feel like there's this dark cloud sitting over you. It originally premiered at the Sydney Film Festival in June of 2008 before being distributed by Lionsgate and After Dark Films in January of 2010. While this film was well received for the most part, some critics felt that the concept was too broad and they didn't favor the off-script improv. But the interesting thing about that is most mockumentaries are not scripted. They're usually improvised to increase the, the validity of it. And so this being a mockumentary... You might be aware of a few others that have been kind of popular in our culture, but usually a mockumentary is a fictitious or satirical work presented in the form of a documentary. Usually they're comedic. That's how they originally started, which the very first mockumentary, I recently learned this, the very first mockumentary made uh, was a British commercial for spaghetti like it's it was I don't even know what year this was but it was back when spaghetti was not like spaghetti noodles were not very (laughs) well known not very popular and so to increase the sales and the awareness of spaghetti noodles there was this commercial made that spaghetti grew on trees and people believed it and they started buying spaghetti and it was you know influential um just as many other mockumentaries have been. They aim to blur the lines between fact and fiction by manipulating any and every small detail that audiences will perceive. So Woody Allen, in his early days of directing, used Jackson Beck, a familiar documentary narrator, as a narrator in his film, Take the Money and Run* shows like The Office will often improvise their dialogue and attempt to make it as authentic as possible. And so that's why I was saying people not liking this movie because of the off-script improv, it's just you just you just don't understand you just don't understand the concept here and that's okay. But horror and sci-fi mockumentaries, which are usually known as found footage films, usually blur the lines too far. The most famous example of this would be the 1999 Blair Witch Project. The marketing and style of filming caused audiences to truly believe the actors were missing. And I like to this day, well, smile. Smile was a pretty good marketing concept, how like they would have people sitting in crowds and just like they would just stand up and smile at the camera, the way that they do in like that movie. But to this day, the Blair Witch Project's marketing was so crazy. They had the actors' faces on milk cartons. People genuinely thought that these people were missing. And um, have you ever heard of the Cannibal Holocaust?
1: I have heard of it, but I've never seen it before.
0: So that's another found footage, mockumentary-style movie that made people believe that these actors were actually dead. um, And they had to go to court to pretty much prove that they are very much alive and well. And so that just shows how influential and uh, I mean, influential and powerful mockumentaries can be especially in the realm of horror and sci fi. So I'm so glad that you chose this movie because I haven't covered a mockumentary or found footage film on this podcast yet. So it. Def- I was waiting. <laughs> I'm so sorry to have let you down, but look, no, it's
1: okay. I was waiting.
0: You you are here to introduce it to to the listeners and me. So on that note, why don't you go ahead and tell us? Of course, you already told us why you picked this podcast or why you picked this movie, but what were your expectations? Uh, when you first watched the movie if you can remember
1: well speaking with the least amount of bias i possibly can because i want to give everybody you know not just you know i'm clearly excited to go over this with you but my expectations for all horror mo- movies in a genre are high simply it's just it's just you know mm-hmm. i just love horror in general so whenever i watch especially found footage movies they're known not to hit the mark as much as you know certain other movies, you know, you know, the big Mm -hmm. ones like The Exorcist and Friday the 13th. But so, you know, going with that being said, you know, this this being a mockumentary, you know, found footage movie, my expectations were extremely high. So when I first started watching it, I was actually a bit confused and I thought I chose the wrong movie. But after a while, (laughs) after a while, when I realized that I didn't, I was completely drawn in and my expectations were Mm -hmm. met. Across all the boards. Yeah.
0: So before this movie, uh, did you see any other found footage movies?
1: So in 2020, you know, the the dark year where we were all right. stuck inside, I made it my mission, personal mission to watch one horror movie every night for six months. And I, oh, wow. it was like, I believe the month of May. I was like, all right, this is a month that I'm going to watch as many of these indie Slash found footage mockumentary movies that you know most people haven't heard because I'd already seen the Blair Witch Project and Paranormal mm-hmm. Activity, you know the big Hollywood ones. So I wanted to get you know I'm like let me find the real gems that people have probably never seen. So I did a lot of searching, a lot of reading, and I stumbled upon this one, the Parigi tapes, you know movies mm. like that. And this wasn't the first one I watched. I believe the first one that I watched that month was grave encounters 2 which was
0: mm. good
1: but definitely was not hitting the mark as like this one was
0: i um of course i've seen a few others blair witch project included but have you ever heard of megan is missing i that's one yes. of the ones that i found yeah. during quarantine it was a TikTok movie which we all know that TikTok recommendations for horror movies specifically don't always uh, hit the mark the way that they should. They'll be like, oh my gosh, yeah. you have to watch this. It's the scariest thing ever. And it's just like, you know, mediocre jump scares at best. And it's like, okay, thanks. Never taking your advice again. Uh, Megan is Missing was, ever. it? I don't know, it wasn't, as scary as I was expecting it to be. But it definitely had those moments of like, just um like, I guess, raw horror, like the very ending when it's revealed that the little, what are they called? Like the, the chemical bins or whatever, what's inside of that bin, when mm-hmm. that was exposed, I was like, oh, that is not a picture I want to see every day. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know, oh, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, so it was, uh, I was watching the Prohigi tapes, this movie, uh, and I also, I didn't, this was a very, a toss up that I didn't let you know about before. When I first decided that I wanted to come on, it was between this movie and Antrim. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Um, it was, I don't think so. It was marketed as a movie that people watch, and if you watched it, it killed you. That's how mm. the movie was marketed so i was like why not let me see you know i don't like we're gonna go over it later but you know i'm not really into stuff like that so i wasn't afraid so i watched it and it kind of gives me the same vibes as this movie does Mm -hmm. it's just one of those movies that there's not that many jump scares but the immersion and like the tension is just it just gets under you so
0: right yeah. yeah and well my expectations for the movie um on the topic of jump scares in particular you know on all of the horror lists that i see this movie on some are recounting specific moments in the movie like the uh like the cell phone footage that we see towards the end and others were just listing it as a movie to watch if you were looking for a scary movie or whatever uh, I was expecting, and maybe this is because I've already seen this part of the movie, but like that one, that's camera footage uh, or the phone footage mm-hmm. is supposed to be one of the like, biggest jump scares of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And I I was so disappointed. And I think part of it is because I had I already knew it was coming, I'd already seen it. So I think that's probably where like, you know, I failed myself. But um, it's become more well-known just in the last two years, even. I was reading a post earlier that was saying, I wish more people knew about this movie. And it was only, that post was only made in like 2021. So I was like, well, now more people know about this movie. (laughs) But yeah, the talk around it definitely prepared me for like, complete horror right uh very very much haunting like paranormal activity like as a little kid watching paranormal activity you were scared that's how i was expecting to be but in terms of my expectations being met it's a little hard to say because i think i got exactly what the film is supposed to be like that's not to say that that's bad but it's just, there was nothing that struck me as completely extraordinary. Other reviews and opinions prepared me for something more outstanding, but I was still pleased with it by the end. It's just not something that I would choose to rewatch out of fun. No hate to you, though. Now, I you know. Like,
1: understand. <laughs> I feel as if, uh, let's take the movie, let's take, you, you, you clearly, I'm sure you've seen The Conjuring 2, right? Like yeah the high i don't feel like lake um ever gets to those highs but it never gets Mm -hmm. to the point where i'm watching the movie and i'm not like i like i want to know what's next at every point in this movie there's never a Mm -hmm. point in the movie where i'm like like, all right, like this is definitely like the slow part of the movie if that makes sense but i definitely understand when people are watching it i was watching it my family and they didn't enjoy it so i don't fault people for feeling that way
0: Mm-hmm. So. And that's always the worst part too, is when you're showing when yeah, you're showing both. people something that you absolutely love, and you're like, okay, you love it too, right? And they're like, mm-hmm. no, yeah. it is so just disheartening. I that's that's how I am with like Midsummer. Oh my god, I love and that so movie. So I.
1: I love that and movie.
0: And, right, right. Like, people with good taste understand <laughs> but I feel that like, that movie is really, really good. I feel
1: like that that movie and this movie, they're not, like, similar at all. But, like, the mood of, like, oh, no. like the uneasiness throughout the entire movie from start to finish. Mm-hmm. That's what both of those movies give me. Like, both this movie and that movie give me.
0: Yeah. And I, I do think with this movie, um, I mean, how you were just talking about the pacing, that's something that some reviews also kind of pointed out uh but before we get into that let's dive a little bit deeper into this movie what stuck out about us and then we can talk about everything that we liked and didn't like about this movie before i say this i must say a spoiler disclaimer uh we will be discussing spoilers here so if you have not seen this movie you would like to see this movie and you do not want it to be spoiled Now would be your time to click off um of course we will keep your seat warm your snacks ready and you just come back when you're ready but if you don't care about the spoilers or you've already seen it or you just don't have plans to see it you just like to hear us talk by all means stay thank you so much and now back to what we were talking about this movie really does bring into the question a do you believe in ghosts? And B, what would you do if you were being haunted by a ghost? Um, Or even if you were the ghost that was doing the haunting? So do you, Michael, believe in ghosts?
1: I do believe in ghosts. I agree.
0: Did you? Okay, so did you always believe in ghosts? Or did this movie make you (laughs) believe a little bit more?
1: (laughs) I was very adamant that ghosts did not exist mm-hmm. this movie did not make me feel like ghosts exist. i had an experience one time um that definitely uh, like woke up my mind i'm not saying that it was a ghost but i can never not say that their ghost don't exist so that makes sense yeah. so i would have to say if i had to put me on a line i'd say ghosts exist but i do not believe that people are capable of seeing them mm-hmm. or you can catch them on film so
0: Interesting. I kinda, uh, okay. I can get down with that. I do as well. Um, just like how you were saying, I also have had a few experiences that are just, like, unexplainable. And, unexplainable. Exactly. And I think that's, I mean... I remember in like science class, they would always talk about pseudoscience and it's like science that really doesn't have any factual evidence behind it, but it's just whether you believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, with ghosts, no, I've never seen one, but it's just, there are things that just can simply not be explained that don't make sense other than saying must've been a ghost. Um, there was one time where, I woke up one morning and I had writing on my foot and it literally said, I love you with a little ladybug drawn. And I went to my mom and I said, mom, why did you do this? And she said, I didn't do that. I said, what do you mean? I went to bed, you were still awake. And I was like, I was seven at the time. So I was like, you were awake. I wasn't, I went to bed. It must've been you or your friend. And they swear up and down to this day that they did not do it. And I was like, okay, so who was writing on my foot? (laughs) I just, and like, so it's little stuff like that. Nothing ever completely dangerous, like poltergeisty, but just little things like lights being off when you remember keeping them on. um, Little toys that have batteries. You take the batteries out and they continue to work and say things. Like all of that would happen. And it's just, how, how do you explain it?
1: I deployed to Syria because I used to be in the army. I deployed to Syria in 2019, and um, it's a lot of destruction in that part of the world. And I was mm-hmm. sleeping in a like old like it was a apartment complex that used to, you know, be in the town of Darfur. Dar- Dar, and I was sleeping there. This building does not have any light whatsoever. There's no cables. One night, I was laying down on my phone just laying there thinking I was about to fall asleep and the light fly, like flashed in the building mm-hmm. so I was like I didn't think anything of it I'm thinking maybe some of the the, the lights are like still connected under, underground mm-hmm. so I went and talked to one of the uh got people overseeing like our sleeping quarters and like yeah like stop make like trying to like they, they basically told me that I was crazy mm-hmm. or I was making it up trying to get a like a rise out of them and that they were gonna basically force me to do push-ups if I didn't, like, leave them alone. And I never talked about it again, but they said that there is no possibility, like, it's not possible that the lights ever came on in that (laughs) movie. But, I saw it.
0: Interesting. And there's no other way to explain it. Um, I mean, it's just, like, it's your word over somebody else's. And that's the sad thing about it. But, like, with this movie, you had multiple people, well, I mean, in Alice's family. Um, who all encountered her ghost or what they believed to be her ghost. And when we do talk about paranormal situations, especially when it comes to movies, like paranormal activity isn't necessarily, it's not like anyone died and now they're seeing a ghost, like somebody close to them that they're seeing um, as an apparition. It's not, it's never like that. But I do think because we have so many movies where it's just, random ghosts and spirits are haunting this place, we often don't talk about how ghosts are linked or can be linked to grief. I mean, obviously somebody had to die for there to be a ghost. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I always have to point out at least one theme for everything I talk about. And so the strongest one with this movie is grief. Even Alice's boyfriend says, I don't know how it helps people dealing with their loss, making up stories about ghosts. And this, when he said it, it really stuck out to me. This was maybe in the first or beginning of the second act of the movie. So I didn't really, I hadn't got to the end of it yet, but it really just stuck with me because I was like, no, you're really right. Like that could very well be it. Do you think, despite the falsification of the photos and videos from Alice's brother, that what the family experienced could have been just a manifestation of their grief or guilt?
1: So... Me personally, I think it was 100% a manifestation of their guilt. I just, the grief, the it was just so much going on in one house, and everybody is feeling mm-hmm. something different, even though they're collectively going through it together. So, if we take Russell, mm-hmm. her father, for example, I just felt like he was just so sad. Like, his was the more of the grief aspect of it that he'll never see his daughter ever again. Mm-hmm. But I felt those, those June and Matthew, like, her, his, her mother and brother, they were more guilty in certain parts of it. You could really feel it. Um, for June not yeah. having a type of relationship where, like, her daughter, like she did with, her, like, the same thing that happened to her and her mother. So I felt like she was carrying that guilt around the entire movie, and that might have... Made her want to see something that maybe probably was not there, and I feel and we get to Matthew. Mm-hmm. Now, remember we might talk about this later, but I feel like he had the most guilt to go around, and certain some of the things that he did just didn't ha- give like I didn't have a really good explanation for mm-hmm. it. So, but we could talk about that later. Yeah, I to.
0: definitely, and you know, like as I said before, I. I considered this before we reached the end of the movie. So um, what I was thinking as I was coming up with like this question specifically was, oh yeah, this is definitely just like a manifestation of how they're feeling about the loss of their daughter. But towards the end, I started to feel like that wasn't true 100%. I think that their grief and guilt could have been exacerbating what they were seeing, Um, especially certain, like, how the dad was sitting in her room and he saw her and stuff like that. Um, But I, I do think because once you see Alice and her interaction with the medium and you learn that she was experiencing dreams that were very similar to what her family was experiencing in terms of seeing her and what she was doing whenever they would see her ghost. it It's just a little too – it makes too, too much of a circle. You know, like, I don't think it's 100% just their grief and guilt, but I also think that there were parts of it that were probably, like – just building on top of it if that makes sense
1: so i did not want to cut you off but i think maybe um, i might explained mm-hmm. it a slightly big wrong i thought for me that they manifested her spirit oh, that makes sense Yeah. so that way it ties like like without their grief and guilt there's no way that she could have stuck around for as long as she did but i definitely do think that
0: yeah no but that that's a good way to take it, though. Like, I mean, that's definitely. I didn't even think about it that way, but I I like what you were saying too.
1: Yeah. So I was just like, she like the the third act definitely tied in to the way I originally watched when I was watching it. I was kind of watching it, like a true crime doc. Like I was really just trying to figure out what happened out. Mm-hmm. But when I realized that the movie was taking it in that direction, I started trying to figure out like how can this be explained? Because that's always my first. Like, thought. I was like, I definitely think that, you know, Alice's interaction with her family, their future selves, but for her being in the past, has some type of supernatural, like, it was definitely something supernatural about Mm -hmm. it going on. But I feel as if without their collective grief and guilt, that it couldn't have, she couldn't have been like the pictures like i don't think that any of that could happen without without their yeah no that
0: definitely makes sense um and i i do like that you pointed that out because there's also that side of the coin to this story as well um especially because in the very beginning like i mean the way that they recall their day at the lake or whatever it was you know they were swimming in the in the dam And then they got out, Alice was still in the water, and when they turned back around, she was no longer there, which is just mysterious in itself. Um, And so I, you know, there's so much guilt surrounding that because you want to believe that there's something you could have done, even though truthfully there was nothing that you could have done to stop this. But you, you know, you wanna tell yourself that it is your fault. And throughout the movie, pretty much everything that happens um, it it's played out to be that like Alice is leading them to the truth. Alice is leading them to like uncover all the secrets that she kept as a way of closure, as a way of resting her spirit. And so it's like, you know, if their grief and guilt manifested her spirit, it's because things were left unsettled.
1: I would like to point out that, eh as well to everything that you said is that the only person who like looked back and didn't see alice was matthew so i feel like his guilt most of all is like one of the driving forces and there's definitely some hints within the movie um about that that we can expound on later
0: yeah and i mean yeah he definitely which i don't know he definitely has to have a lot more guilt after he used those photos against his mother i mean i get he had good intention but that was insane
1: i don't think he had good intentions at all i, I feel like as if he was like in his own mind trapped and well maybe he was guilty and finally need to tell the truth mm-hmm. but i feel like all the little things that he did you know as far as like appearing in the photos as his sister, Mm -hmm. going back to the dam, like, you know, in her sister's clothing. If you watch the way that Alice looks in a lot of those old videos, she always looks on edge. Yeah. And at first when I watched it, I felt as if, you know, this could all be explained by her knowing, already having that premonition of her own death. And that's why she always looked just sad. And, mm-hmm. But I'm kind of leaning towards lately that she might it might have been the person behind the camera. Yeah. That was causing her feelings of basically being uncomfortable.
0: I think so. as you hear more about Alice from other people's perspectives, you gain more you gain more of a curiosity about who Alice truly is and You know, as I said in the beginning, mockumentaries are often used as a piece of satire, but despite the serious and dreadful tone of this movie, it's clear that it has something to say on the way that true crime documentaries can cast shadows on the deceased victim they choose to make into their subject. So as it pertains to Alice's character, uh, did you find that your perception of her was swayed by the family and friends' accounts?
1: So I was definitely swayed as progressing from act one, two, and three Mm -hmm. of the movie. Um, I felt as if at times everybody was talking about a totally different person. Oh, yeah. But once, well, before I get to that next point, I think that Alice's friend, Kim, put it best. She just seemed to be like a different version of herself to everybody. So having seen Mm -hmm. the whole movie now, I feel as if the perception has changed. My, my perception of her has changed i see her as someone mm-hmm. who put forward the person she thought that everybody wanted to see yeah but on, always being the only person who knew the truth about herself about her neighbors her brother and then about her death
0: and to the point that you made about how you know she always seemed like she was on edge about something and maybe it was the person behind the camera who she was on edge uh, for And the fact that she kept so many secrets, especially from her family, like particularly from her parents, um, you know, it almost leads you to wonder if, of course, I don't know, when, when it comes to at least the way that the family is perceived because you're hearing these accounts from them, of course they're not gonna sit here and tell you all of their dirty laundry. But it's like you have to wonder what, what really went on when she was alive in their day-to-day lives. You know, were they neglectful or, um, you know, maybe she didn't tell them her secrets because they never asked. And as you listen to all of these accounts, uh, it's really easy to lose control of the story when you have secondary sources telling it. Her friends and family played her out to be deceptive and rebellious in a way, especially after finding that tape of her with her neighbors, which was absolutely insane. <laughs> uh yeah. and so I I would find myself starting to lean into their story a little bit more, like just their their perceptions of her. Um, but I do, I kept reminding myself that they perceived her this way because it almost seemed like they felt entitled to know the things that she hid. Like her friend was, was saying, um, I don't know why she would never tell me. I don't know why she would keep that from me. And of course her family felt the same way, but it's like, you have to, as, as her friend, as her family, you have to wonder why did she think she needed to hide this from me? I mean, obviously you're sitting right here and you're judging her in a quote-unquote documentary that's supposed to be recounting the tragedy of her life being lost, um, and you're skewing her, her character pretty much.
1: Yeah, so I would like to go back to what you said in the beginning as far as what could have been going on. And I think in the beginning where Russell, her father, is talking about... You know the tense relationship she has with her mother mm-hmm. i mean i just feel as if you know there had to be something maybe not something huge like a big fight but there had to be some type of environment that had to been going on where she felt so like suffocated where she couldn't like, I, I don't know if it i just felt like if it was me and I had, like, an experience like that. Like, there's no way that I could keep that to myself for six yeah, months. Yeah,
0: I definitely agree. And I, like, I don't know, the more that I watched this, the more that I heard what they were saying about Alice. And then, of course, you saw the cam- uh, the phone footage from her friend, but also from Alice herself. It was just, like, I just wanted to pick apart Alice herself. Like, I wanted to understand what Alice was feeling, what Alice was going through more so than anything that the friends or family was, were saying.
1: And I think that you're looking at it how most people won't, as I don't think that, you know, of course the, the movie is presented to us as the family, family being the protagonist, mm-hmm. but I really think that Alice is the protagonist of this movie. If you look at everything through Alice's point of view, I feel like maybe you'll get a little bit of a deeper understanding than just some family who is trying to move on from the death of their daughter.
0: Right, yeah. And I think on, on that point, the style that the way this movie is filmed makes it a much more intimate setting to understanding the aftermath of this character's death. Um, and so with that being said, did the method of the movie being filled, you know, making it a mockumentary, did it change the way that you received it or did it affect the way that you received it?
1: With the complex things in the film, um, like losing a loved one or what happens after we die, honestly, I mm-hmm. don't think that this movie could have worked if it was filmed from like maybe like a protagonist POV. Like I feel yeah. like most of the atmosphere, which is the main, like the bread and butter of this movie, the atmosphere. I don't think that it could have hit the mark that it did, without it being this style. Like I have an example. Yeah. So like when the um take the part where the director or and the producers, when it was revealed that it was actually Matthew instead of Alice that was a walking pass. Um. The uh, the one shot where he set up the mm-hmm. camera, they actually changed it to Matthew being the one walking past. If you subtly look mm-hmm. at it, it used to be Alice, and then they switched it to Matthew. I don't think that what the producers and director were trying to get across to mm-hmm. us um could have worked in any other style. Yeah.
0: I the biggest problem that I found with this movie for me specifically. I liked the narrative, but I didn't like the plot. Um, And so I felt like, had it been shot in a first person perspective, maybe the plot would have sat with me a little bit better. Um, But I mean, compared to the fictional glossy feature films with the based on a true story disclaimer, um I think that the mockumentary style for this story worked very well those i i don't know those disclaimers have been attached to so many different films uh, that have later even been debunked in one way or the other, kind of like the conjuring mm. when it comes to those two um i don 't even know what their names are now, the but Wolverine
1: the two
0: War. right right them like some of that stuff has been debunked, and even it's like a lot of those movies will take um true situations or just like small little facts and just blow them up and then build on top of that which is completely fine but I think like when I was a kid the whole based on a true story thing really used to scare me but it's been done so much so that it's lost its effect I found myself genuinely forgetting that Lake Mungo wasn't a real movie uh, because of like whenever it kept showing more home videos and staged family and friend photos it just like i got completely lost in in the story and like how, how you were saying in the very beginning i was completely immersed thinking like like these are real people this really happened she looked like such a sweet girl Sad
1: that she's dead but she's not <laughs> I right think.
0: right yeah. like r.i.p how now this is up for debate and like this is probably the most controversial controversial take you could have but how did you interpret the ending
1: so it kind of ties into my theory that i feel as if i'm not saying that he actually killed her Mm -hmm. matthew i don't believe that matthew actually killed her but he had something to do with her death at the lake The way I interpreted it starts from when she actually had her premonition. When we look at the video recording of her seeing her dead body, the one that Russell saw at the Mm -hmm. morgue. From that point on, for months, she was alone dealing with all of this. And that's where we get a lot of those conversations they had with Ray, Mm -hmm. the psychic. Um, And basically from up on that point, till she dies, which I like I said, I feel like Matthew has something to do with the family returns home from, you know, their daughter being missing. Um, Russell made a point to point out that he left the light on outside mm-hmm. of their house as well as using the headlights to drive back, which in so, some cultures, that's what the dead need to, you know, to be guided to certain mm-hmm. places. So once Alice was in her home, she did everything she could to let basically let someone know she was one there and two, like this was me. Please help me. Um, I feel as if the ending, the very end of the movie, her family was in such they needed to move on so badly that I maybe, just maybe, that June saw her and chose to walk away at the mm. end and with the last shot of Alice still in the house where it pans all the way to her in the left and we see that well there actually was something that wasn't edited in those uh pictures some of that Matthew took some of that like her family photos that Alice was still in the house and I think that's that's where she'll be
0: Which I looked up just, like, uh, after I'd watched it, I looked up different ideas of what the ending could possibly mean. I, of course, it's all subjective, but I think everyone is right. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I don't (laughs) think there's a wrong way to interpret it because it could literally mean everything all All at at once. once. Exactly. Yeah, and so, like, what you're saying, I definitely... I think that while it could be a literal ghost, the entire movie, I was kind of looking at it a little bit more deeper than her literal ghost being real all along. I think that while there was, that there could have been a literal ghost, I do think that um, at least in the photo, um, I think it's more of a figurative ghost of who they thought that she was and oh,
1: that's good. that,
0: oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> Thanks. um so i think that like this person who they thought she was all along is now just remaining in that house stuck in that house and i mean i i've moved around a lot and so every time that i would move into a new house especially as a kid i would always consider how the people that lived there before you a could have died and you wouldn't know it but also i mean like they made memories in the same place that you're about to make memories. And like, it's almost like these memories play as apparitions themselves. And so it's like, you're living in this house where other people have like built a family, other people have lost loved ones, stuff like that. And, you know, now you're just kind of living with other people's memories surrounding you. And so I kind of see Alice's ghost and the ending in a similar manner as that.
1: You know, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, and there's nothing to say that what you're like, like what I, how I interpret it. You interpret it. Like they could be both true.
0: Yeah, exactly. So. I, yeah, like I, as I was listening to her friends talk about her and stuff, I was like, I mean, we're talking about a real ghost, like her family is talking about really seeing her ghost, but the more that they talk about her, they're just producing a whole other ghost of her, um, you know, the ghost of, of who they thought that she was. And I I almost think, I don't know, this movie, like, yeah, it's supposed to be a horror movie, but it was kind of sad too, <laughs>
1: it was really sad Yeah, I felt as if June and Russell were really they they were so they needed to move on from the death of their daughter mm-hmm. that it could have been a manifestation of like back to what we said in the beginning of their grief and guilt was. it could have it could have just been figurative but it could have been literal it could yeah. have been both
0: so, so... Now let's move on to what we liked and what we didn't like. I will let you go first. So go ahead and tell us what things stuck out to you about this. Movie. So we kind
1: of already hit it before, but like just to reiterate it one like the actors was my the first thing that I liked about this. Like I liked the fact that they use like not well-known actors mm-hmm. and the fact that the act, they did such an unbelievable job at displaying their grief that and i was so immersed and like like you said earlier i literally halfway through the movie I, one i didn't know if this was the right movie but secondly i was completely like is this not real mm-hmm. like, like like let me look up these names let me see if this actually happened um and then the second thing that i like was the fact that they they, they needed to as I don't think this one could have worked at all if it didn't they stuck to the natu- the naturalistic style
0: mm-hmm.
1: like recording the videos on the old school phones that you could barely see on uh, the way the, the pictures just felt like this was definitely taken in like the late 2000s yeah my one dislike was narratively oh just one little and i i know i'm a stickler for flaw holes um i feel like the the stewie the tui storyline like the neighbors Mm -hmm. i feel like it just didn't wrap up very neatly for me it kind of brought me slightly out of that immersion because like i get that it's the 2000s but are you telling me the police couldn't find anything about them at all ever again that's that's so i feel like they could have they could have wrote that a little bit better um, but that was my only gripe, and it's still tiny, so. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, did they truly have to include it? Because I think they mainly, that was mainly there to kind of just like, it was like the cherry on top of all the tension that they had already built. And so it's like, we need something super, super shocking that's going to completely ruin her reputation or character like she's not this nice girl you thought she was. Why? Cuz she's a whore. But like at the same time, <laughs> she was being taken advantage of by adults, by grown people. She was supposed to be babysitting exactly. their children and they were like they were grooming her. And so I If
1: you would like watch the video recording, which goes back to that naturalistic style that it would like you barely could see anything you could see if you like really like stopped it and looked at it she didn't look very comfortable at all and i think that goes back to the fact that there had to be something else that was going on in her house that would make her feel as if she couldn't tell anybody about that at all Mm -hmm. like the scene where it's her she's talking to ray the psychic and she's like like she like is like crying in front of her parents like as they sleep because she wants to tell them but she can't yeah and I feel like most people took that as the her scene uh aberration of her death but I when I first saw it I felt that she was talking about the whole Tui situation
0: and I I mean I didn't even really pick up on that um so I definitely that like you made a good point right there and I completely forgot also how much I just did not like that part. I yeah, I felt like it was
1: <laughs> it was
0: one of those things that was just used for shock value more than anything. And once they used it I feel it, like
1: it definitely could have been written better for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um but I mean, low keep that is not that like has nothing to do with what I didn't like about it. So I guess technically I have two dislikes, but <laughs> I started with my dislike then, Uh, my biggest dislike was the pacing, which I kind of talked about a little bit earlier, but I'm all for a good slow burn, you know, building that tension, but I think because the payoff didn't really feel worth it in the end, the slow burn was just borderline excruciating for me i how you were saying you know with the slow burn of this movie it never gets to a point where you're kind of like okay you know like what is this building up to okay that's kind of how i was feeling um i was low-key waiting for not even low-key i was high-key waiting for like to see them at lake mungo like i knew that's what this was building up to but i i didn't complete i didn't hate the movie let's not get this twisted <laughs> now i have i do have two likes two very very strong likes that i'm very passionate about and so the first one is i i really enjoyed the takeaways from this movie i think that the ones that you're left with are almost just as haunting as the narrative like i mean as much as i have talked down on this movie it has not left my mind ever since i first watched it I think it challenges the viewer to consider what they what they would do how they would feel after becoming aware of their impending death and how their loved ones would cope with it and so you know before like when we were talking about um like you know interpreting the ending and stuff and the how i talked about the literal ghost of alice and also the figurative ghost it's similar to how people will take more notice of a person after they're dead versus when they're alive and and they also tend to kind of craft this ghost of who they thought they knew and that just kind of lingers in the air and so as you watch true crime movies or true crime documentaries or even podcasts you're hearing this like second person perspective of this situation very detached from what really happened and the and the people that it truly happened to and it just kind of feels um it kind of feels a little one-dimensional I guess that's just what I kept thinking about in this movie is how they're you know they're talking about Alice but in talking about her and trying to give us a better sense of who she is they almost made her into this one-dimensional um this one-dimensional person and it's just like obviously there's more to her than the way that you all are talking about her but there's no way of us knowing because she's dead and that was sad (laughs) and that just kind of added on to this dreadful tone that this entire movie had but it was so strong and such a steady dreadful tone that i mean yeah by the end of the movie maybe i didn't like the plot but i was still just sitting there like oh like i had to take a breath after i because of the way that this movie is filmed like the style of it there's always a haunting energy that comes with true crime documentaries and the way that it shows as you watch people recount tragic and traumatic events that happened to them as it like that alone worked as a really great foundation while the story built onto that tone leading up to the reveal in the third act, so like those two things put together, I definitely i this this movie's definitely worth the watch for those two things alone
1: absolutely, the atmosphere. It's just I think talking to you is maybe maybe the atmosphere was like a single thing that drove this movie more than anything else. It's
0: one of those things that you don't really notice about a movie right off the bat until you like you think about it after the fact. And you're like, Wow Like a really, really good atmosphere in a movie is one that you feel it all the way through you don't you you don't even have to really notice it until you finish watching the movie and you're still kind of shaking it off at the end and that was definitely this movie so now that we have our likes our dislikes and everything in between out on the table what would be your official rating slash recommendation for this movie
1: if we're going one stars to five stars, I'm giving oh. it a 4.0. 4.0. All right, all
0: right. Do you by chance have a letter boxed? I don't know if that is, no. Oh, my God, Michael! How are you going to sit <laughs> here and tell me that you enjoy my episodes and you don't have a letterboxed? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, we're going to have to put you on because Letterboxd is, and this, <laughs> before I say anything, it's going to sound like a sponsor. <laughs> it's not a sponsor. Although, if Letterboxd would love to sponsor me, I would love that. So, if anybody knows any connections, uh, let let them know and let me know. But Letterboxd is an app where you can rate movies sometimes shows it just depends on the way that the show is like put on the internet but yeah it's just like an app where you can log all your movies you can be friends with people and see what they're rating um there's there's a bunch of different features to the app as well like it's not just rating and reviewing movies you can interact with people you can look up movies add them to your watch list make different lists i have so many different lists i have one for black horror movies i have another one that's like movies that i'll never watch again but not because they're bad just because they're really uncomfortable um so yeah it's it's a really fun app to just kind of explore and so every time i watch a movie i go on letterbox even when i'm still sitting in the theater i go on letterbox and i rate it before i leave the theater so it's a really fun app you should check it out and once you do i'm
1: logging right now
0: exactly then uh, I can drop your letterboxed account in the show notes below so that other people can um, check out your account. And in terms of my letterboxed, I rated this movie a strong three and a half. Uh, which there have been worse ratings than that. So <laughs> there was there was like a point in time where I didn't rate anything below a three and a half. But then I watched terrifier and (laughs) and that definitely deserved a lower rating than three and a half so yeah but i rated this movie at three and a half if you want to go check that out it's up now including my uh, very very long review on it you can find me at avery cof on letterboxd but if you're not already following me on instagram twitter tiktok Go ahead and do that because you're missing out so much. There's so much stuff on TikTok right now that I have posted, so much good content. And so you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at Your Horror Podcast because this is Your Horror Podcast, the podcast you turn to for all of your horror needs. So thank you so much, Michael, for joining me. I'm so glad that. Oh,
1: thank you, Avery, for having me.
0: (laughs) Of course, it was such a pleasure um and if you have any more horror recommendations you know where to send them to so all my listeners thank you so much for listening to this episode and make sure you tune in next week because we are flying out of australia and going straight to france to review raw if you haven't heard that movie go ahead and look it up it is a whirlwind all right once again thank you michael thank you listeners and i'll catch you next episode
1: PhD in black cinema, sister soldier.
0: Listen, I read my entertainment weekly, okay? I know my shit.